Alrighty, so we're gonna go back to Mark tonight. I haven't been there in a few weeks. So we're gonna be in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, I'm gonna read verses 10 through 21. Alright, so beginning in verse 10, it says, And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go you into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say to the good men of the house, The master saith, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared, and there make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eats with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? And he answered and said unto them, it's the one of the twelve that dips with me in the dish. And the son of man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. Good word for that man if he had never been born. And the title of the message tonight is Betrayal, Lord, Is It I? So tonight we're going to look at Judas, the man, his position, and his character. And you're probably thinking, well, you know, I kind of came here tonight hoping I was going to be edified, something a little bit more on joy and faith and all that. And I would rather be preaching on joy, faith, and love. But the fact of the matter is, Judas is a character that we must face, right? Because we're going to face Judas in many forms in the coming days if we haven't already. So you can just go back one chapter and look what the Lord said, our Lord said back in chapter 13, verse 12. So we're talking about betrayal, and look what he says in verse 12 that's coming up. It's already been happening through the years. It says, now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father will betray the son and the children will betray and they shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death. So betrayal is something that's promised in a way, isn't it? It is. I mean, not to everybody necessarily, but Luke 21, 16, he said there, Jesus said in, in the end time message in Luke 21, and you shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinfolk and friends. So that's people you know, people you trust. That's hard to take a lot of times, isn't it? It really is. So all I can say is we can't bury our head in the sand because we don't want to face reality because Jesus predicted that there would be betrayal and it's a very real possibility for all of us. So, you know, the name Judas, it doesn't exactly warm the heart of your average person. I mean, most people today are not going to name their kid Judas. Now, this is my son, Judas, because <laughs> everybody's going to be like, whoa, <laughs> I don't know if you could trust that kid with your cookies, right? <laughs> and, it, and if you look up the name Judas in the dictionary, it's defined as a person who betrays a friend. And we'll see that is exactly what he did. 
a person who betrays a friend. And so what we have here, uh, you know, the last time we talked out of Mark, taught out of Mark, we talked about Mary. We know it was Mary who came to Jesus before his crucifixion, took the most precious thing she had and broke it and anointed it with him. In other words, she's somebody that had given him through that. She's showing, I've given you my whole heart. I've given you everything I have, Lord. Right. And that's the way it was with her. But Jesus never allowed his heart to be won over by the Lord. Never. So he used Jesus because he saw in him and following him an opportunity to advance himself. And then he betrayed Jesus. <laughs> the Lord treated Judas. And he betrayed someone and the Lord treated Judas kind and nice up to the very end. And so instead of that, how did he pay him back? He gave his loyalty to whom? To Satan, the one who would ultimately destroy his soul. And that's what happened there. And we'll see, he did all of that, all of that, betrayed his Lord, used him, gave his loyalty to the devil, in spite of the fact that he, and this is for me kind of hard to comprehend, he lived with Jesus, he saw his perfect life, he heard his anointed words. I mean, that would have been privately and publicly. And he watched the power of God emanating from him, performing signs, wonders, and miracles. Saw all of that. And the fact remains, he betrayed him. And that stands as a great warning to all of us, doesn't it? It does. And Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 10, wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And, you know, you wonder, you read, and you wonder about Judas. I do. I'm like, who could be such a fool as him? And yet the Bible lists many that follow in his footsteps. Demas, Hymenaeus, Alexander, Hermogenes, Philetus. And the list goes on in church history. There's been many Judases down through the centuries up to this present day. So let's just examine. We're going to look at Judas and see how we can avoid his fate. So the first thing I want to look at is the man Judas. And so we have in verse 10, it says, And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And a couple things about his name. So the name Judas, while it's not common today, nobody's going to want to name their kid Judas, especially not here in America, but it was a common name in Israel in Jesus's, in Jesus's day. So all it is, all Judas is, it's the Greek version of Judah. And Judah was one of the 12 patriarchs. Nothing wrong with that, right? And the name means praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. In the New Testament, it also, it names six times, it names different people that had the name of Judas. The brother of our Lord Jesus, his name was Judas. A man who led a revolt in, against the Romans in Acts 6 was named Judas. Judas, named Barsabbas, was chosen to go with Paul and Barnabas when they went to deliver the letter that James had written to the church in Antioch in Acts 15. And when Paul went blind on the road to Damascus, he went and stayed at a man's house, and that man's name was Judas. And two of the twelve apostles had the name Judas. One was called Judas, the brother of James, and the other is the one we're talking about tonight, Judas Iscariot. And so that last name, Iscariot, is a combination of two words, two Hebrew words, actually. It's Ish, 
And ish means what, Caleb? Man. You haven't had Hebrew yet, have you? But that's pretty basic. Ish and woman is isha. But it's ish for man and Kerioth. And that's just the name of the town he was from. It's a small town that was in the south of Judea. So you have ish Kerioth. And you say that fast three times and you're going to get Iscariot. Is the way that works. So he's the man, Judas, the man of Kerioth. Now he is... This is just like fun facts. It's not going to make you any more spiritual, what I'm telling you now. But he was the only apostle that was not from Galilee. Everybody else was from Galilee. You remember on the day of Pentecost when they were all filled and they're all speaking in tongues? The people said, are not all these which speak Galileans? And so Judas was the only one that wasn't. So many of the other apostles were... From up around that area, they were from Galilee, and they were brothers, friends, they worked together. And so what does that tell you? They would have known each other, or probably even the ones that weren't fishermen, they would have known about each other. It wasn't that big of an area, that big of a town, some huge city. But nobody would have known a thing about Judas, would they? Because we don't know much about Judas, but they wouldn't have known much. They wouldn't have known anything about his family, his background, or his life up to the point that he joined him. So I think in a sense it might have been a little bit easier for him because Judas is the supreme definition of a hypocrite. And it had been a whole lot easier for him to hide that hypocrisy from people that really didn't know him that well. Even though when you read the account they weren't suspicious of him at all, were they? He just fit right in with them and they trusted him, right? The thing, other thing about Judas's name was if you ever read when they give the list of all the apostles, guess whose name is always on the bottom and it should be and Judas is never given any respect and he shouldn't be given any respect he doesn't deserve any and Sinclair Ferguson I heard him tell one time that he was greeting all the people that were leaving his church and he had talked about Judas I don't know if he preached a sermon I don't know what he did or just mentioned but he had mentioned however that Judas was one of the apostles and this lady coming up to him on the way out with all these people behind wanting to file out, she looks at him and she said, Judas was not one of the apostles. And he's thinking, well, how am I going to give a soft answer to turn away this wrath? I've got to come up with something so all these people behind here, this woman's not offended and we can move on through. And he just, I think all he said was, you know, well, dear sister, <laughs> I know it's a hard pill to swallow, but Judas was named as one of the apostles in the Bible. And I guess that got her by, whatever. But it is. It's kind of hard to accept the fact that he is one of the apostles, isn't it? When you know how devious he was. In the Bible, he is not given a pass for who he was or what he was all about because every time his name is mentioned, it's also declared that he is the one that betrayed the Lord. So back in Mark 3, it'll give the name when he, I think it's Mark 3, where he named and called all the apostles. It'll say Peter, James, and John, Andrew, Philip, Thaddeus, and Simon. Simon the Canaanite, and it'll end with, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And so that's a label that he is going to have to wear for all eternity. He was a traitor. So let me ask you, why Judas? Why did there have to be a Judas in the chosen 12, a traitor in the midst? Let me offer a couple suggestions here, because I would say, first of all, when Jesus suffered and had to suffer for our sins, he had to suffer the punishment in its full effect. And I'm saying, if you've experienced this betrayal by a close friend, 
is one of the gravest sins that a person can commit. And it has been that way, portrayed that way in literature and just the way it is with people down through the centuries, through the ages. So you all know this, when Brutus stabbed his friend Caesar's, what was Caesar's response to him? It's a famous line out of Shakespeare. Et tu Brute? Isn't that what he said? And what does that mean? Even you, Brutus? Even you did this to me? And this one poet wrote about this. That was the unkindest cut of all. For when the noble Caesar saw him stab in gratitude, more strong than the traitor's arm, quite vanished him, it says, then burst his mighty heart. That, that, was, that hurt him worse than the actual cut that his friend would do that to him, his friend Brutus. And I can guarantee you, I'm telling you, I can guarantee you that even though Jesus knew from the start when he chose Judas that he was going to be the one that would betray him, and I can tell you right now, it's one thing to know it, and it's another thing when he actually experienced the betrayal. And I'm telling you, I guarantee you that hurt him deeply to see Judas and it talk, we'll see here in a minute, somebody that was he considered a friend, so to speak, and a trusted friend, possessed by Satan and the hatred that was in, in his heart and turning on him, a friend he trusted, I'm telling you, that wounded the Lord. It did. The other thing is why Judas is he is fulfilling prophecy in type and literally in type because we know I can give you two types maybe three but I'll give you two in the Old Testament Joseph was a type of Christ the humiliation he went through but what was part of his humiliation who was he sold into slavery by his brothers the ones that he trusted that should have loved him right and he sold they put him in a pit and sold his their own brother as a slave it's a type of Christ. And what about David, King David? Also a type of Christ. He had a trusted friend and counselor who was named what? Ahithophel. And he betrayed him and gave counsel to Absalom, his son. And what was his counsel? Well, he's going to destroy him. You think that didn't hurt David? Cut him in the heart? And so he wrote about in the Psalms that betrayal of Ahithophel. And so that's what Jesus is referring to. When he, so look down here in Mark 20 to 21. He answered unto them after they asked, is it I? He said, it's one of the 12 that dips with me in the dish. They're dipping. What do you think they're dipping? They're dipping their bread in that oil to eat it. That's what he's talking about, eating bread with me. He says, the son of man indeed goeth as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. He said, it's written of me. So if you'll put something there, we'll see where it is written of him. I mean, there's several places, obviously. But as far as the betrayal goes, if you'll turn back to Psalm 41. Psalm 41. We'll see it there. Psalm 41, beginning in verse 4. So we'll see here, David goes in verse 4, he's talking, he's not talking about the Lord necessarily, he's talking about himself that he sinned, but it moves into talking about the experience Jesus had. Verse 4, he says, I said, Lord, be merciful unto me, heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Verse 5, though, he says, mine enemies speak evil of me, when shall he die and his name perish? 
And if he came to see me, he speaks vanity. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes abroad, he tells it. All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. An evil disease, say they, cleaveth fast unto him. And now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. And verse 9, yea, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And David's saying that was a wound that was hard to take. And that's the same. That's prophesying about what Judas did to the Lord Jesus. Yea, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread. That's what we just read in Mark has lifted up his heel against me. And then if you'll turn over to Psalm 55, Psalm 55, just a few psalms over, beginning in verse 11, it says there that wickedness is in the midst thereof, deceit and guile depart not from her streets. And look what it says, for it was not an enemy that reproached me, and then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my guide, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked under the house of God in company. And look down at verse 20 and 21. It says, He has put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. And the words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. I'm saying Jesus had to suffer the full effects of sin and he had to drink the curse to the full. And one of the most, I think, devastating effects of sin is betrayal by those that are closest to you. It is. And so through that, though, the Lord Jesus, he's already prophesied that we are going to experience betrayal. I mean, I, like I've said before, I can't imagine my own children or, or my dad, or someone really you're really close to that you really trust that they have your best interests are. It's hard for me to imagine them betraying me to death. But yet the Lord has said, that's what's going to happen to some people, right? Father against a son, son against a father. And he said in Luke 21, it'll be your friends, those that you think are your friends. I'll tell you, my pastoral teacher down at the seminary, he said, I'm going to tell you all something. The person that you think is your best friend is potentially the one that will turn on you. Now, Greg ain't going to turn on me. Been my best friend too long. He's had too many times he could have turned on me. But I knew what he was saying. We all knew what he was saying. And he told us that more than once. But listen, when that happens, if it happens, the Lord's had that experience, hasn't he? That's what we're reading here. And so because of that, he can be a merciful priest to us to help us through those times, can he? And that's what it says in Hebrews 4. For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities or weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that's where we can be at times, can't we? When somebody betrays you, somebody that you trusted. You're just like, I need some help through this, Lord, because I don't want to hate him the rest of my life. Can't do that. And it takes his grace a lot of times to get us through that. So the second thing, going back to Mark, I want to look at is Judas's position. 
And so right there again in verse 10, it says it was, he was Judas Iscariot. He was one of the 12. And so, like I said, we've said it several times already, Judas was chosen by Jesus himself. So back in Mark 3, go back and read that on your own. Jesus went up into a mountain, it says, and out of all these people that were following him by this time, it said he called unto him whom he would. So out of all of these people that were following him, he just specifically chose 12 men, and Judas was one of them. He chose them, didn't he? The apostles didn't become apostles because they decided it sounded like a good way to live, that, you know, I like to be close to the Lord and just walk by faith with him and see all these. No, it didn't happen that way. In John 15, 16, Jesus said to all the apostles, this is John 15, the betrayal didn't take place till well, it had taken place, but I'm saying in John 15, he said this to all of them. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. So he said that to all of the 12, right? And the Bible tells us that when Jesus chose Judas, he knew he would betray him, didn't he? So what my point is with that is he chose Judas, but Judas joined up with him and became an apostle willingly. So he wasn't coerced in any way, was he? We need to remember that he wasn't just some puppet that had no choice in the matter. So God didn't manipulate him against his will. And that's why we have in Mark 14, verse 21, it says, The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him. And that's why, because he wasn't coerced, he did what he wanted to do that Jesus can say, But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. Because Judas was already following Jesus at the point he chose him to be an apostle. So somehow or another, he had heard of Jesus, and he had become convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, just like the other 12. He had left all to follow Jesus, hadn't he? So even to the point of, in John chapter 6, so Jesus has, has all the crowds coming or want him, wanting to make him king because he'd given them bread, and bread was very scarce in those days. That was a big deal. And when Jesus started talking about you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh, and they were taking like, this guy's crazy. He's talking like a cannibal. And it says everybody walked away from him, but whom? The 12, including Judas. He stuck through even then. He'd given Jesus his life, and a lot of people have, but he never had given him his heart. He hadn't, never had. Because his heart was still wedded to selfish ambition, to greed, to position, and power. So all of the disciples, I think at one point, we've been through this enough if you can remember the teachings in Mark, all of them looked at him as somebody that was going to overthrow Rome. We have... Was it James and John? They're coming to him and they're saying, hey, can we sit on your right? And so they're looking for positions of power. All of them had that it, to some degree, right? But the other ones, the difference was God's grace had touched their heart and changed their heart and was changing their heart. They had God-given spiritual desires too. So they truly loved Jesus as the Son of God. So they loved him not just because of what they thought he would give them, but they also loved him for the truth he spoke. Because when Jesus says, everybody else has left, are you guys going to leave too? What did Peter say? Say to him, he says, you, we know this much, Lord. <laughs> we don't like all this stuff that's been happening. Some of the rebukes you give us and all of that. But you have the words of eternal life. We know that. 
And they also, I believe, they loved him for his purity and his holy life. I think they saw something about that. That would, uh, we talked about this on the new birth last Wednesday. When you have a regenerated heart, there is something about holiness that attracts you. You may not be there yourself, but I think they could see that in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's something that attracted them. That didn't attract Judas. That wasn't why he was still hanging around. I think they also loved him for his love and compassion that he was showing on those that were oppressed and the poor. So we know that, so when he told Judas, what thou doest, do quickly, what did it say? They didn't know, he probably whispered it to him. But they're thinking he told Judas to go give something to the poor. So obviously he did that many times. And they didn't have a problem with that, I don't believe. I think they, something about they knew that was right. Judas didn't. He didn't have compassion on the poor. Not, not really. And he could play the game well enough that nobody suspected him of anything. And that's what's dangerous, isn't it? So here he is. I'm saying his position, he's in a position of an apostle that only a privileged few had. And you think about the privilege that was. So he was given power and authority. You know, put yourself in Judas's skin for a minute. So he was sent out just like the other 12. And think about what he experienced in Saul and still remained a hypocrite. But they were all sent out to preach the gospel. And what were they preached? What was the gospel that they preached? That men should repent. And there would have been an anointing on their words. And it would have been on Judas's words. And so he would have seen hardened sinners break down and cry and repent. And yet it didn't move him. They were also anointed and given authority to heal. And so he would have seen people in a bad way, like that leper, whatever, coming to him, laying hands on them and seeing miraculous healings take place right before his eyes. The power of God operating through him. Or if you've seen people that are demonically possessed and having problems, I'm saying he would have prayed for them. Spirits crying out just like they did for Jesus. The gathering demoniac, obviously not in his right mind. Judas would have been able to command those spirits to leave and see somebody change from that to sitting there clothed, as it says of the gathering demoniac, and in his right mind. He would have seen all of those things. He would have performed all of those miracles just like the other 12, or they would have thought there's something up with this guy. No, he did it. He had that authority. (laughs) I'm saying how many of us would have given the right eye to see what Judas saw? Or experienced what he saw, even though we can. And the other thing we're talking about is position. He was also named, you've heard about CEOs, chief executive officers. Well, he was the CFO. He was the chief financial officer. And that is no small, no small office that they gave him, right? You don't trust people with your money or to be the treasurer of whatever. If you, like Melanie, I feel like I can fully trust Melanie. I'm saying you don't do that with somebody that you think's a little shady is going to cook the books, right? So they gave him quite, that's quite a position he was given, right? Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He said that the old tradition says that next to the apostle Peter, Judas was one with whom the Savior most commonly associated. Oh, that's not Bible or whatever, but they're saying they, he would have spent a lot of time with him. And actually at the last supper, 
where they're reclining. Peter wasn't the one right next to Jesus. Who was? John was laying on his breast. The one next to him on the other side of him was probably Judas. Because when he said, hey, one of you is going to betray me, and they're all saying, is it I, is it I, is it I? It says that Peter had to motion to John to ask him. So he wasn't the one right next to him then. And so John asked him, probably whispered, and he said, it's the one to whom I dipped the sop and handed it to Judas. Well, Judas couldn't have been too far away for him to just hand it to him, right? They're all spread out around this table. So he's right there. They trusted Judas was probably the guy that was like, they knew he could handle finances. You don't read about him doing, he's not like Peter always sticking his foot in his mouth. You don't read of Judas doing any of those things. You don't read about Judas being ambitious. He's just kind of quietly waiting his time thinking this is all going to play out. I'll get my position and I'll just be the treasurer. Might pocket a few coins here and there, but that's what he's going to do. But you think about it, they had to be, they had to trust him. Their well-being depended on him prudently spending their money. Because if Peter, the way he was, Mr. Just jump on out there and do anything, and if they'd have given him the purse, he'd have probably had this huge, big, brand new church bus, and they'd have been, you know, $20,000 in debt or whatever. Somebody else had just given all the money away. But oh, no, old Judas, he knew how to handle funds. He wasn't going to waste it. That's the way he was. Talking about his position he had, I know Steve Green, I remember reading this years back. Well, what's going on with him? Well, it, at some point he had entrusted all of the income he had from his ministry to some man. And he entrusted it to him. He's like, here, here's, and the guy, I guess the guy was telling him everything's going good, all your money's earning all this dividends, da 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 Until one day he finds out the guy's not around and he has zero money, flat out broke. And he said, he wrote about this, I heard him interviewed, he said the temptation was to hate that man. And I'll tell you one, one reason why is because in his heyday, he probably made a lot of money, was probably saving it for later on so he wouldn't have to travel and sing the rest of his life or whatever. And his, his albums were selling like hotcakes. Well, when this happened, by the time this happened, this guy writing this article says his music is no longer popular, nobody's buying it. So it's not like you know, all he had to do is make another album and all these people are going to go out and buy it. No, he's broke. And so he's having to travel at a days he probably wishes he wasn't and sing and trust the Lord. And that's where he got to. He said, I'm just going to have to trust the Lord that somehow he'll make it for me and my wife. And that's where it's at. So that's what happens there. Judas, Judas had a position that he was trusted in, wasn't he? So what do we get from his life? Well, one thing we can see from what was going on with him is just because somebody has a position in a church, a ministry or on TV of power and authority, and they seem to have gifts, it doesn't mean that they are a truly spiritual person, right? So the gifts may flow, but that does not mean they have spiritual life on the inside of them, does it? Means nothing, and everybody gets all enamored with anybody that would manifest any type of gift. And we see from Judas, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. And it doesn't mean anything if you're a person that has a gift operating through you, does it? That's nothing to rest on. Because we know Matthew 7, Jesus says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then Jesus said, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And that's just something we got to consider, don't we? 
gifts, in a sense, it's a blessing and we should pray for them and be a blessing. But that in and of itself, even to be spirit filled, doesn't mean anything, does it? I mean, it does, but it doesn't. It doesn't guarantee you anything. Let me put it that way. Because Judas was that way. The other thing is, with Judas, he had opportunities, didn't he, that very few people had that were squandered. And so we need to think about that because we have access to truth at a lot of levels here in this church and in America. You know, we've heard teaching that's not heard everywhere or accepted everywhere. Preaching books are Bibles. You think about it, Jesus or Judas was traveling intimately with Jesus, a close associate, considered a friend for years. He could have asked him any question he wanted on any subject. Any sin he was struggling with, any topic, I'd like to know about divine healing. How does that work, Lord? He could have asked him about anything, couldn't he? And I doubt if he did. I doubt if he did. And I'm saying, people, we have time, we have resources, we have access to things. And we're, if you're not in a trial, I'm saying now is the time to ask the Lord and find out. Lord, I don't really understand healing instead of just assuming you do or not bothering to. And then you get into trial and it's like, I don't know what to do. I'm saying he's given us time. He's given us resources. He's given us privileges. And that's one thing with Judas. He did not take advantage of his privileges. So we can have public prayer and praise here. We can have a prayer meeting. And oh, who cares about the prayer meeting? Well, you know, one day you might care about the prayer meeting. And it's funny when people get in trials all of a sudden or something big's happened in their life, they're at prayer meeting. Well, I mean, that's what we're praying for every Thursday night. Anyways, isn't it? Other people that are in trials. Amen. Amen. I'm going to just say, I mean, why wouldn't you be at prayer meeting unless you if you had a good reason? Fine. But otherwise, I don't understand why you wouldn't come to a church prayer meeting. It's the lifeblood of any church. It's the way it is. Alrighty. The other thing, the other privilege we have that we don't have in a lot of other places is people we can witness and evangelize anywhere we want to, and they're not going to throw you in jail or cut your head off in America. They're not. And a lot of places don't have that kind of privilege. And are we taking advantage of that? Now, I understand you can just be crazy about that and spending every one of your <laughs> feeling guilty if you're not witnessing to everything that's standing around. But what was Judas's thing? He's just concerned about whom? Himself. And we can get caught up in it. You can keep yourself busy in quote-unquote non-sinful things, and you're just busy about doing your own thing without any concern about spreading the gospel. Here in a place where we have a lot of lost people, it's getting darker and darker, as Starla said. There's a lot of lost people out there that need to hear the truth we have. Amen. And so one day, like, you know, what are you doing with your opportunities? Right. In your privileges that you have in this truth that we have, is this truth that we have just something for us to come and hear and take it home and come back and hear it again and take it home? Is that what it's all about? I don't think you'd really get that out of the New Testament. So just something to think about. The other thing is Judas is the classic illustration of the love of money drowning a man in destruction. So if you would turn over to First Timothy six. 1 Timothy 6. And look what it has to say about that. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 6, he says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain, 
For we brought nothing into this world, and it is, there's a certainty, we can carry nothing out. But he says, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich, not are rich, but have this desire with a plan to be rich, is what he's saying. You're just consumed with it. They that will be rich, they fall into what? Temptation and what? A snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts, which do what? Drown men in destruction and perdition. And you could put Judas's name right there where it says men. For the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know, and the sad thing is that Judas had heard Jesus teach many times on the eternal dangers of setting your heart on the riches of this world. I mean, he heard anointed teachings from the lips of the living God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet his heart was hard to it. It says he was a thief. He never let those words affect him, hadn't touched him. So he had heard Jesus say, take heed and beware of covetousness. He said that. Or he said, he that receives seed among the thorns is he that hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. And Judas was standing right there when the rich young ruler came running up to him, kneeling in front of him. Good master, what must I do to have eternal life? And what did Jesus tell him? He said, you got to get your heart. You want eternal life. You've got to get your heart wetted away from your riches. And so I'm telling you, you need to sell everything you have and give to the poor and come follow me. Now, how did Judas see and hear all that and it not affect him? But it didn't, did it? And I'm saying that's the danger, the great danger of coming and hearing the word and just hearing it and not doing it because it's somehow we like hearing it but somehow what we're hearing applies to everybody else and it doesn't apply to me so what do we hear in James we have to be doers of the word don't we and not just hearers because when you do that like with Judas apparently you become a hypocrite and you also do what you deceive whom when you're hearing and not doing you deceive yourself and that's what Judas was a self-deceived hypocrite so he confused privilege and position with true piety, didn't he? That's a lot of P's there. He confused that. So you could think, man, I'm coming where the word's preached. I mean, okay, there's a lot of places where the word's being preached, isn't it? I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of spirit-filled people that aren't doing too well. So I'm saying all of that's great and it's needful, okay, but... We need to be doing what we're hearing and taking everything seriously, aren't we? That the Lord says in the Bible. So he's going to test all of us along those lines. Because here's the thing. Judas was religious. He, he never gave up appearing outwardly religious. Never did he. Almost to the end. He had everybody fooled except for one person. Jesus. Didn't have him fooled. But he never allowed his heart to be changed, did he? He covered up the fact that it was never changed. He never was regenerated. 
So the last thing, if you go back to Mark, we'll look at is the character of Judas. And as we've said already, he never really had a true love for Christ, so he just acted like he did. So he was just really following the Lord for what he personally could gain, like we said. And so when all of that, though, when all of what he thought he was going to gain from being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, when all that seemed to be going up in smoke, what became his concern then? He's just trying to see how he can recoup his losses, get back all of what he'd lost, right? So it's slowly dawning, and I think we got, we got things going the opposite direction here between him and the other apostles. I think it's dawning on the rest of them that Jesus is going to die and the rewards are going to be in the future. It's not going to be some earthly kingdom here that they're going to be sitting on thrones. And they still loved the Lord, didn't they? They didn't lose that love for the Lord, but not Judas, because he just became more and more and more disillusioned. And I think it happened back in John 6, because that was the grand opportunity for Jesus. The crowds were behind him. Everybody wants him to be the king. They're coming to crown him. And I'm sure Judas thought, man, this is our moment. And instead, Jesus starts talking to them in a way that everybody's gone. So now he's still hanging around, and Jesus asked the twelve, Will you go away also? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter said that, and I think he was speaking for most of the group except for one, because listen to how that goes on at the end of John 6. And Jesus answered them and said, have not I chosen you twelve? But he adds to that, and one of you is a devil. And he spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. And I think at that point, Judas is realizing, hey, all these ambitions and goals and purposes I had of fame, fortune, and power, they are not going to happen. And I think Jesus knew what was in his heart. That's who he was speaking to him right then. So his disillusionment turned to what? Hatred. And that hatred mixed with greed, and it finally culminated in his betrayal, betraying the Lord for just a small sum of money. Because Judas was a small-time dealer. He was. He didn't name his sum. He could have gone to them and said, this is how much I want you to give me, and I'll give you him. He didn't even think along those lines. He's just a small town, small time crook, isn't he? Small time thief from a small town. And he goes to them, he says, well, what will you give me? And they're just like, well, we'll give you this. Oh, that's great, I'll take it. Just a small time thief. But that small town thief committed the greatest crime of all time, didn't he? And betraying the Lord. And so we've got, to, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, we have got to guard our hearts so that our motives for following the Lord stay pure. So if we allow lust or greed or anger, the cares of this world, to begin to dominate our lives, we can start off well. If we allow those things to dominate our lives, they'll draw us away from our, the Lord and it's going to harden our hearts toward Him. That's what happened with Judas. And once your heart becomes hardened. Guess what you'll no longer hear? You'll no longer be able to hear the gentle reproofs of the Lord Jesus, right? Trying to bring you back because Judas didn't. Because how many times did the Lord say things to him that should have broken his heart in repentance? 
But his problem was he had hardened his heart and given himself over to the devil, right? So Judas knew he was going to betray the Lord. He'd already gotten his money. And when they came to the upper room, what's the first thing the Lord did? It says he took a towel and began to wash their feet. And guess whose feet he would have washed? Judas's. So how would that, Judas sitting there, put yourself back in his skin again. He's sitting there and the Lord's down at his feet washing his feet. How would that not begin to break your heart seeing that? How could you be that hard hearted? Because when we've done foot washings, you look in the face of the person of the of the feature washing, right? He would have seen the Lord's look. The Lord wouldn't have been giving him a stern look. He wouldn't have. It says in Ezekiel 33 and 16, I believe both, that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn and live. That would have been his heart, even at that point. As Spurgeon said this, Think about it. The Lord was washing the feet of the one that would hasten away to bring back the crowd to crucify him. But when he did that, he didn't do it in a nasty way, did he? You don't read of him saying anything smart or nasty to him, which I would have been very tempted to do. Right. And so when he was done, he said to him, all he said, now you are clean, but not all for he knew who should betrayed him. And I'm sure he looked at Judas when he said that. Now you are clean, but not all. I mean, he had a lot of, he's given him a lot of opportunities to repent, isn't he? He really is. And how would those words not have affected Judas, right? And when they sat down to supper, you can read all this in John 13. It says he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. He's troubled in spirit. I mean, there's probably a lot of different reasons he's troubled in spirit. He's getting ready to die. Judas is filled with the devil. I mean, why would you want that around? But I think it's still bothering him to see what's happening to his friend. What's happened? And the 11, they're all wondering who it was. But guess who knew the whole time and wasn't wondering? Judas knew. And he knew at this point that Jesus knew. So except he'd given his heart to the devil, how could he not be affected by all that? So let me ask you, if you were going to do something that betrayed the Lord's trust, you knew you were going to do something, to, and you see that he's troubled by that, you could physically see his face, and you know what you're planning on doing, and you know that that's troubled him, could you still go on and do it? You still go on and do it? Could you sell the Lord despite his pleadings? So you know you said you made a profession of faith, you've been baptized, and you know what he has said about pornography, but you could still go on and look at it despite that or cheat on your taxes or sell something in business to somebody that you know is ripping them off. This thing isn't worth that much, but I'm going to sell it to you anyways because I need to make some profit this week or whatever. What's the price to sell the Lord? Do you have a price like that? Because that's the way the devil accuses us to the Lord, just like he did Job. He said, he's got his price. You do so much to him, he'll sell you out. Just like Judas did, right? I heard a man tell me that one time. Oh, your pastor, Brother Hamilton, he said, he's got a price. I said, I, I, I don't think he does. Because if I thought he did, I'd find another pastor. I really don't believe he had a price. So do we, do we have a price 
it gets so bad, gets so hard, or this temptation comes away, I'll sell the Lord. That's what we have to ask ourselves. But even despite all that, the Lord Jesus dealt with Judas in a kind, gentle way, as I said, to the end. He washed his feet. He warned him that if he goes on with this deed, it would be better for you that you weren't born. Tells him that. And when Judas betrays him with the one sign that is the sign of affection and friendship and loyalty, a kiss, can you imagine the nerve to do that? And Jesus doesn't say, you hypocrite, what are you doing kissing me? Did he say that to him? Or he's saying, why are you putting those impure lips on my cheek that is pure? What are you doing? He didn't say any of that. What did he say to him? How did he speak to him? He could have called him out, couldn't he? It wouldn't have been anything wrong with that. But he says to him, here's Judas comes up and had to look at him and he said, friend, what friend? Calls him friend. Why have you come? I mean, anybody outside of a hardened person that had given themselves over to the devil would have broke down at that point, wouldn't they? They would have broke down and said, I'm sorry. I, I, somebody else is going to have to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm breaking down crying. Lord, please forgive me. I would hope everyone in this room would do that, right? And not just continue mocking. And when in Luke's account, it says, he looked at him and said, Judas, betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss? Asked him that. So, What we need to see is that despite all that, despite the way he was, the Lord still showed kindness and friendship to Judas. And so I would say in closing here, what we need to do is we need to go to the Lord. And if we ask him, we don't want to have a heart like his, right? And we need to say, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be somebody that is acting like they're following you, but they're really not. And so what's the prayer? What is it? Psalm 139, if you would turn back to that. This is the prayer that we can pray. Psalm 139, it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in thy way everlasting. And we can ask the Lord, look, if I'm going the right way, please keep me on that right path. But if there's something in me that needs to be dealt with, that I need to deal with, please show me and make things right and get me on the right path. But I think all of us could go to the Lord tonight and say, we need to be cleansed. Go to the fountain, go to the blood, be cleansed and be clean. And then ask him, please keep me on the right path. If I'm not on it, get me there. Amen. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to do what? To fear thy name. And when that happens, then I will walk in the truth. We'll walk in the truth. And we'll have praise to our God. Amen. And that's the way it'll end. Praise the Lord. Now let's go before the Lord. And Father, we just thank you, Lord. It's an unpleasant life to look at, but it is a warning to us that he was only one of the 12, but he was one, Lord. And I just ask that all of us in here will go before you with honest hearts to get before you and pray and honestly ask you as hard as it may be, Lord, show us anything that would keep us from wholly following you and give us the grace to be able to deal with that. 
that we not be one that betrays you, Lord, that we we're asking ourselves, is it I and you know, Lord, but that you will give us hearts to deal with whatever needs to be dealt with. And I just ask that you'll do that for all of us here, that you'll cause us all to cleave to you, Lord, and to follow you all of our days. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.